Take your Bible, please, and turn to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 26 through 28 in a sermon I've entitled, The Fellowship Factor. The Fellowship Factor. I thank Pastor Redland for the wonderful opportunity to speak tonight. He's up at Mikado Baptist in Macon, and he spoke four times today. He's probably speaking now. So uh, say a prayer in your mind and heart for him as he speaks once again there, and I know he's been a blessing there, and I pray that this message will be a blessing to you as we consider fellowship and the blessing and benefit of fellowship in the church. Before we get into the passage, let's think tonight of some of our favorite dessert pies. Let's do that together. Do you think that would be a good exercise for 6.15 on a Sunday night? So um, I wrote down some of my favorites. You can agree. You're welcome to agree. Uh, an amen or two would be appropriate, okay? So number one, I put apple pie. That's my number one. My wife makes an amazing apple pie, Granny Smith apples, and I love flaky crust apple pie. That's number one, okay? Can I get a witness, okay? Blueberry pie, blueberry pie, love blueberry pie, grew up in Michigan, love blueberry pie. Strawberry pie. Now my mother-in-law, Bobby Ashmore, she makes a, a wonderful strawberry pie pie, and I love that. You see what I just did there? I got some brownie points from my wife and my mother, mother-in-law in the matter of a few seconds because you don't want to be in a brownie point deficit. Can I get an amen from the married men out there, right? Okay, so you want to always get the opportunity. But I love, I love Stacy's pie and my mother-in-law's pie. Okay, chocolate cream, banana cream, coconut cream. I would say that generally any pie that has cream in the name is good. Who's with me? Okay. So uh, I wrote those down. Uh, pecan pie. Pecan pie. Some are shaking your head. No, no. Sweet potato pie. Sweet potato pie. Okay. Lemon meringue. Lemon meringue. And key lime pie. Come on, Floridians. Key lime pie. Little tart. Makes you pucker, but so good going down. Okay. So some of our favorite pies tonight, we thought about those. Now I want you to imagine a dessert pie without sugar. Imagine a dessert pie without sugar. I would say that a pie without sugar is pathetic. <laughs> I thought I'd try with that one. It would, be, it would not be good. You made a mistake, you put salt in there instead of sugar, not good. In fact, you want pretty much as much sugar as possible in a dessert pie. Now tonight I want you to imagine a church without sweet fellowship. Imagine a church without sweet fellowship. I would propose tonight that without sweet, vital, personable fellowship in the local church, the local church would be a cold, distant place. Now, we may think of fellowship as Kool-Aid and cookies after a service. I do not want to denigrate that in any way. That's a good starting place, okay? But fellowship is much more than that. Fellowship is the communion of people who are one in Christ, the bond of the fellowship of believers, those who have the bond of the Holy Spirit. The enjoyable communion that comes with brothers and sisters in Christ in the family of God. That's fellowship, and it's an enjoyable thing. 
In fact, I would say this, fellowship is one of the most important aspects of church life. It's one of the most important aspects of church life, the fellowship factor. Prayer is the power of the church. Preaching is the program of the church. Teaching is the profit of the church. Singing is the praise of the church. Service is the practice of the church. Evangelism is the plan of the church. Discipleship is the progress of the church. But fellowship is the pleasure of the church. And without that, everything else falls flat. Without sweet fellowship, everything else is not as effective as it should be or could be. Without sweet fellowship, other parts of church life fall short. For everything else I propose tonight, for everything else to be effective in the church, there must be a sense of partnership, communion, unity, cooperation. There must be sweet fellowship. So let's consider that topic as we look at our passage tonight, and we're going to see a progression in the passage. First of all, I want you to notice fear in verse 26. Let's see fear in verse 26. Acts 9, verse 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all, everyone say the next word, afraid. They were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. This is pretty simple. So Saul, who previously in, in his unbelieving life persecuted Christians, has this amazing experience on the road to Damascus and he meets Jesus personally and Jesus uh, reveals himself to him and he, he converts to Christ, he converts to Christianity. He becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. He becomes a Christian. And so then he goes to the Damascus, Damascus Fellowship, the Damascus Church, and we see in verses 19 through 25, I believe that they quickly embraced him. The Damascus church embraced him. And he had fellowship with them for many years. Look at verse 19. And when he, that is Saul, later called Paul. Uh, here he's called Saul. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. Look at verse 23. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. Somewhere in the mix there, I think verse 23 allows for this, Paul leaves Damascus, goes to Arabia, and he's there for three years and receives this wonderful revelation of God. He comes back and joins with the disciples there. And then, as we read in our passage, he leaves and goes to Jerusalem to join with the disciples there. And, and he receives this great welcome, I think, at Damascus. The same people who were once avoiding him are, were now risking their life to save him and help him escape the, uh, the threat of death. So, so they're, they're joined with Paul, with Saul. But when he arrives in Jerusalem, he doesn't get a good reception. Verse 26, they were all afraid of him. It looks like they didn't receive him readily. I like the wording there. He essayed 
to join with them. He, tr he sought to join himself to them. He wanted to join with the church at Jerusalem. And this should be the intent of every believer. Every believer should seek the fellowship of a local church. They should seek to join that church for accountability, responsibility, and fellowship. And so this was Saul's intent. He wanted to join with them. But it seems as if he was not accepted at first. Fear is an obstacle or hindrance to fellowship. Would you say that with me, please, out loud? Fear is an obstacle or hindrance to fellowship. It's an obstacle. Now, their fear was reasonable. This is the guy that was killing Christians, and now he, he was killing Christians before. And now he wants to join with us? Well, you can understand it seems reasonable that they would be hesitant to allow him into the fellowship. But their fear was not based on facts. It was based on prejudice and panic. You see, God wants us to be wise and discerning, but not impulsively alarmed or anxious. God has not given us a spirit of fear. There's an instinctive fear, like the fear of snakes, okay? But God doesn't want us to live with the spirit of fear. And so, in the, this is how it works in the church fellowship. We should be, we should be engaged in acceptance of, of anybody that comes in. I mean, we should look at them and we should say, we welcome you. We should welcome them readily. We shouldn't let prejudice or panic keep us from welcoming them into the assembly. Now, it would, be, it would be a rare occasion. It would be a very rare occasion should someone cause so much trouble we have to say you're not welcome in the fellowship, okay? Many of you know that Stacy and I planted a church in Connecticut and we were there for 18 years. We started with a Bible study in our home and then we went to a, uh, a hotel conference room and so we're in this small days in hotel conference room. Our nursery was a, a large closet. So can you imagine a young couple coming in with kids, you know, and where's the nursery? Over there, the closet. So, I mean, I, I, I admired anybody that would come to our church, honestly. I would really admire them. Our, our, one of our Bible study uh, classes was in a, a, a pool equipment storage room. So we had a pool equipment storage room and a closet. And then the main conference room. So I'm telling you, we, I admired anybody that would come. And if they came, boy, we were excited. We were ex so excited when people would show up. Those, for seven years, we met at the, the hotel conference room. Now, uh, one, one Sunday, it was our Christmas service. And uh, we had a Christmas program planned. And we were wanting guests to come in. And boy, I was so excited. And the kids had prepared something. And we had some special music. And, and I was all excited before the service. And I hear this commotion. I hear this yelling going on in the lobby. And I walk in the lobby just in time to see my, my uh, well, he's now my brother-in-law, Mike Peterson. He's about six foot four, big guy, and another big guy in our church. And they're ushering someone out. They have this guy, and they're, they're ushering him out of the building. And they usher him out, and they come back in. And I go, what in the world? Guys, what is going on? Why would you do that? And they said, well, this guy was yelling, and he was claiming to be Jesus. And I said, Mike, you just kicked Jesus out of our Christmas service. Well, that was a rare occasion, but we had people coming in off the street. We had people coming in who were seeking the Lord from all different backgrounds. And uh, we, should be, we should be open and accepting. 
But we see in this case, they weren't at Jerusalem, the main church. They weren't at first. They were hesitant. Let's think of this further. Many of our fears flow from past painful experiences, right? Let's be honest. Many of our fears in life flow from our past painful experiences or painful past experiences. I read this funny story about this. I had to read it um, to you. A certain preacher once had a plane flight where he was uh, experiencing much turbulence on the plane. From then on, he hated to ride on airplanes and would not go unless absolutely necessary. One time he had a, lo a long trip that he had to go on and he had to fly. So he boards the plane, he sits down next to a calm little lady who noticed he was a preacher and noticed he was nervous. She tapped him on the shoulder and said, why are you afraid, preacher? Doesn't the Bible say that God is with you always? And the preacher replied, no, that's not exactly how it goes. The Bible says, lo, I am with you always. And so he let his past painful experience cause him to be afraid. Hey, how does this work in interpersonal relationships? It works when you get hurt. Anybody here, don't raise your hand. Anybody been hurt by someone? A friend? A coworker? I mean really hurt. A brother and sister in Christ? A pastor? You say, Pastor Zach, this is why I struggle with fellowship in the church. This happened to me, and I've heard the stories, and I've, I have the stories. I've been in church my whole life. You think I've been hurt? I've been hurt. I've been really hurt. And everyone here in the room would say, yes, I've been hurt by people. We're afraid of being hurt again. And so we're hesitant with personal relationships. There's a fear of opening up old wounds, a fear of rejection, a fear of exclusion. Some fear being known deeply by people. We fear accountability. We fear being misunderstood. We fear, fear failure. And this hinders our fellowship. Fear hinders our fellowship. And we, what we need to do is get past this. You say, this is a challenge, Pastor Zach. I know, but Jesus will help you. Jesus will help you. Because wherever there's a collection of human beings, there's hurt. Wherever there's a collection of human beings, there's misunderstanding, there's hardship, there's conflict. But we're here for Jesus. Our ultimate purpose of the fellowship of the believers is for Jesus Christ. And so we come in, we say, God, I'm going to come in. I'm going to look past some of that. I'm not going to let that hinder me. I'm going to still be open. I'm going to still be transparent. I'm going to still be gracious and reach out because people, people need to sense your love and I want to be a conduit of your love to others. Lord, help me to look past myself and look to the needs of others no matter how they respond to me, no matter what they do, no matter what they say. Help me to express the love of Jesus. Help me to be Jesus to someone today. How many of you think that'd be a good prayer? Help me to be Jesus to someone. So we see fear, and God must help us to go, to go work past our fear and to, and to have pure fellowship in the church. Look at the progression. Fear, verse 26. Friendship, verse 27. Friendship. 
So he's getting this hesitant response from others, but then verse 27 says, but Barnabas. The word but indicates that he was unique. Everyone else was holding him at arm's length, saying, hey, I don't know if I should get close to this guy. I don't know if we should accept him in the church. But Barnabas took him. Don't you like how that reads? Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas. Barnabas takes Saul and he introduces him to others. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement and he's certainly living up to this name. In fact, every time you see Barnabas in the Bible, you, he's, he's, he's having fellowship. He's joining with someone. He's encouraging someone. He's always reaching out for someone and to someone. Barnabas is a great example to all of us tonight. His faith caused him to get involved in the lives of others, no matter the personal risk. Later, Saul and Barnabas would travel together as partners. Folks, our spiritual maturity is shown through personal involvement despite past personal hurts. It, it, it is a, it is a, and I'm not, I'm not speaking down to you to discourage you. I want to encourage your growth. But it's an immature Christian who focuses on the hurts and excludes themselves and doesn't get close to people. That's immaturity. That's weakness. A strong believer says, I'm going to get hurt but I'm going to put myself out there to be a blessing and let God use me. People need encouragement. There are needs here. I can meet them by the grace of God. God could use me. And I'm going, to, I'm going to get in there and help. When we build bridges between ourselves and others, we're building fellowship. We're building fellowship in the church. That sweet, wonderful experience of fellowship. We need a Barnabas spirit. Think about this. What if everyone in campus church had this spirit? And I think most of us do, but maybe some are struggling with it. What if we all had a Barnabas spirit? As I read this, I couldn't help but thinking, where was Peter? Why didn't he step up? Where was James? I mean, he was the chief elder there. Why didn't he step up? Where was John? Where was Andrew? Where was Nathaniel? Why did Barnabas have to do it? Why didn't one of the apostles do it? Barnabas led the way. Barnabas showed them how. Barnabas, uh, he built fellowship through friendship. While others were holding Saul at arm's length, Barnabas said, come, I'll take you in. Hey, I'll, I'll introduce you. You know, uh, one of the most uncomfortable experiences is when you go to visit a church on vacation. Have you ever had this happen to you? You go to visit a church on vacation and everybody's staring at you, but nobody's talking to you. They, they know you're new. I mean, they know you're new and they're looking at you and everybody's looking at you. Stacy and I were uh, at this church that I remember with our family and we're standing there in the lobby and people were walking right by us and looking at us and not talking to us. Finally, one gentleman, I mean, multiple people walking right by, looking at us, staring at us, but not talking to us. Then finally, this one gentleman said, looked me right in the eye and said, welcome to our church. What brings you here today? Good to have you. Immediately, I felt welcome. All it took was one person. Otherwise, I was very uncomfortable. 
Barnabas took Saul in. He listened to his story. He believed in God's work in his life. There's no telling how much that meant to Saul. When someone does something like that to you as a new person, they welcome you in like that, that could, that could change the whole course of your life. I was talking to someone recently who comes to our higher ground group, uh, the Bible study group that I lead, and I just simply asked them, what brought you to higher ground? We're glad, man, we're glad to have you. What brought you? And they didn't say the teaching, although I, I hope they appreciate the teaching, and I think they do. But they said to me, this was interesting. They said, Pastor Zach, when I walked in for the first time, the, the young girl that you had greeting at the door, she looked me in the face, she smiled, she asked my name, and then she repeated it later, and I will never forget that. I will never forget that. I felt so accepted. I said, praise God. Because if they don't sense that, they're not going to listen to the teaching and preaching. Who's with me? They're not going to listen. And so we need the fellowship factor. Let's move to fellowship. We see fear, verse 26. We see friendship, verse 27. I think 28, we see the consummation. We see fellowship. Look how it reads. And he was, that Saul, with them, coming in and going out. Now here's Paul with the other apostles, the other believers at Jerusalem, and he's coming in and he's going out with them. I picture two people with their arm around each other, walking, walking into church, walking out of church, coming in and going out. I'm one with these people. God greatly blessed Saul's ministry Later, of course, I mean, I mean, he turned Asia Minor up, upside down for Christ. God blessed his ministry and the ministry of the Church of Jerusalem. And, and I think, I think this, was the, this was the start of it. This, this wonderful uh, experience of, of them taking in their former enemy, them taking into their assembly and, and, and loving on and, and fellowshipping with and bonding with and joining with and partnering with and then sending out this man who once killed believers. And God blessed it. Christian Schwartz and his ministry performed one of the most extensive church surveys I've ever seen. It, 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 it's fascinating. It's in a book called Natural Church Development, the whole survey. They surveyed over 1,000 churches in 32 countries on six continents. And they were looking for the characteristics of healthy churches that are reaching new people. Now, this was amazing to me. They handed out this questionnaire to the 1,000 uh, churches that they surveyed. They handed out the questionnaire to at least 30 members of the church, at least, including new people. So they, they had, the survey had to get into the hands of new people. They had 4.2 million people respond to the survey. And in the book, on page 36, they say this, uh, Christian Schwartz says this, that they determined to, uh, through these responses, that one of the greatest characteristics of healthy churches is loving relationships. One of the greatest characteristics of healthy churches is loving relationships. They determined, and I quote, that there is a highly significant relationship 
between the ability of a church to demonstrate love and its long-term growth potential. Let me read that again. There's a highly significant relationship between the ability of a church to demonstrate love and its long-term growth potential. They called this the love quotient and they, and they boiled it down even further saying this. How much time does the church spend, the church members spend together outside of, of church events? How much do they, time do they spend outside of the church services? How generous is the church in doling out compliments? How much laughter is there in the church? They said this is the strongest correlation to church growth. They concluded that this unfeigned natural affection generates a magnetic power more effective than any evangelistic program alone. Planned programs without sweet fellowship are doomed from the start. Why? Because people don't just want to hear about the love of Jesus. They want to see the love of Jesus. They don't just want to hear it. They want to see it. And when they see it, there's a magnetic pull for them to come back. Without loving fellowship, the church is a cold religious place. With fellowship, with sweet fellowship, the church is a slice of heaven. One pastor described it this way. When, when, when you uh, are watching television, sometimes they'll give a preview for a future episode, right? Or a, 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 a future uh, show. And so they give the preview. They do this with movies too. They got the trailer to get you, whet your appetite for what's coming so that you'll want to go see the movie or see the show. So there's this preview. And what they do is they pick the hottest clips of the drama and the action. And uh, sometimes you're disappointed when you watch the actual show. There's, you know, not much drama and action, but whatever they picked, that's what they showed you. And so to get you excited. Now, the, the real show is what they want you to see, but the preview is to whet your appetite for the real show. The real show is what Dr. Mullenix talked about on Wednesday night. The real show is the kingdom of Christ. That's the real show. The real show is the eternal state in heaven with God. That's the real show and the new earth. And in God's kingdom, there's going to be excitement. There's going to be perfect fellowship. There's going to be singing. There's going to be serving. There's going to be worshiping. There's going to be eating all the pies you can eat. Amen. Banqueting, rejoicing. Fellowship, friendship, laughter, love. And the church is to be the preview to a lost world. The church is the preview that causes people to want to see the real show. I believe that. And I've experienced that. And I've experienced it here. And I want, I want to be one who fosters sweet fellowship in the church. You pray for me, I'll pray for you. I want to be one who fosters this sweet, wonderful experience of fellowship. I hope you uh, see me laughing. I hope you, you see me with a smile on my face. I hope you see me engaging people. I hope that I see you doing the same thing. We're about to have this influx of people from all around the world. 
What an incredible opportunity. I love this time of year. So exciting. People from all over are coming to us. Here are some ways we can foster fellowship as we close tonight. Prioritize it in your life. If you have a fellowship opportunity, take advantage of it. Join as a member of Campus Church. Go to Pastor Redland's Next Step class and join in. Plug in. Look for needs. Don't just come into the church saying, how, how can the service be a blessing? I hope Pastor Redland's good today. I hope the choir's good. No, come in saying, how can, I, how can I serve God and these people? And where are some needs I can meet? Let me look around. Ooh, there's one. She has a need. He has a need. I know they have a need. Or maybe I don't know. I'm going to find one. Look for needs. I'm working on this next one right here. Meet new people. Let's say that together. Everyone, meet new people. Simple. What we, what we tend to do is we tend to hang around the people we, we know, and that's fine and good, and we enjoy fellowship with them, but there's so many others that we could know. And so sometimes there's that awkward conversation at first and whatever, and we work past that. Hey, uh, are you a member here at Campus Church? Yeah, I've been for 40 years. Where have you been? Uh, well, you know, um, I didn't know you, brother, but hey, good to know you. Have we met before? That's my line. Have we met before? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to pull that up. Okay. But hey, remind me of your name. Remind me of your name. So-and-so. You know, it takes me about three times to remember names. Be, bear with me on that one. Okay, bear with me. But good to talk to you again. Meet new people. I met some new people this morning. Praise God. Host people off-site. Go to a restaurant. God's given you a wonderful home. Use it. If God's given you a home, that's a tool. That is an awesome tool for fellowship. Invite people over. Participate in a Bible study group. Join in the Bible study groups. They meet at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. We break the church down into smaller fellowships. And, and they, form, they form into little families within the big family. And it's, it's such a blessing to meet together and study the Bible. Last of all, volunteer for service. One of the best ways that we fellowship together is when we link up arm in arm to do some work for the Lord and we just join together for some work. And so I know many of you have signed up for helping with the coastal kickoff and events like that. There are people serving in master clubs. There are people in the nursery right now while I'm speaking. And there's great fellowship when we serve the Lord together if our spirit's right. Simple thought tonight, and let's close with this. Let's ask God to give us a spirit of sweet fellowship at Campus Church. Let's ask God to give us the Barnabas spirit here. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thank you for listening tonight. Let me challenge you. Let me challenge you to be a Barnabas, to be a blessing. To not let fear hinder your fellowship. To take on the ministry of hospitality and encouragement for the older generation to embrace the younger generation to make this place a place of sweet fellowship the preview before the real show a slice of heaven on earth and God is going to keep bringing people to campus church 
He's going to grow, continue to grow this church, and he is.